One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible comes near the very end, almost like the second to last chapter. It's in Revelation 21 when God says, look, I am making everything new. Look, I am making everything new. I love that verse, and I love what it reveals about the heart of God and his creation and this imaginative mission that he's on to restore all things. This clues us in to what kind of story we're a part of and where it's all headed. Our loving God is creating a new world full of possibility, rising up out of death and darkness, even when things appear most dead. Even in the midst of what feels like total darkness, there is a new world, a new life that is bursting out right in the middle of the old one. And we believe that when we follow Jesus as king, his story becomes our story, this story of transformation, life, and hope, and all things new. So it's a new year. We're one week later. I was going to give this last week, but I get... A, a new chance to, to give it as well. It's a new year, a new season. What do you want this year? What are you looking forward to? Is there something in your life where you need to experience the new life of Jesus? What hope or dream or failure are you waiting for the power of God to come and make all things new? Is there something that comes to mind? We're going to get to that, but first, anybody like to cook? Yeah, all right. Yes, I see that hand. I really like to cook. Somehow over the years uh, in our marriage, I, I have ended up doing basically all of the cooking in our family. It wasn't really planned that way, but I really like to do it, and Rachel likes to eat what I cook, and so it's just worked out well. But my favorite part of cooking is the experimentation. So I don't really follow recipes. Uh, Rachel will send me like things on Instagram, like this looks good, make this. And I'll just be like, I wonder how they made that. I'll try something. Um, Rachel is the opposite. She really likes precise directions and ingredients and measurements. And she wants to know exactly how everything is supposed to be so she doesn't ruin it. But my take is that whatever happens, we can figure it out. We can figure out a way to tweak it and make it work. Uh, it might not be exactly what we had planned, but, oh, it's going to be delicious. We're all going to eat, and we're going to have fun. Um, you put a little too much of that in it. You add a little bit of this. You know, you balance it out. And usually that works out most of the time, but not always. There was this one time when uh, I tried making a stew, and uh, I used to manage a catering company back in the day in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And after weekend events, I would come home with just tons of extra food. It would be like, oh, I got 10 pounds of pulled pork and uh, whatever. And so I would, my, uh, if you didn't know this, our family motto is Garvey's Don't Waste. It's kind of how we, we got here. And so we, we just figure out a way to, to make it work. And so... I'm like, all right, I'm going to make stew. It's winter. This will be, you know, nice comfort food. Throw some chicken in there, a little cream. Uh, start adding some veggies, some potatoes. I'm making this, like, um, chicken creamy chowder stew stuff. And uh, it's just not tasting good. And I'm like, oh, man, what's, what's the deal? So I throw in a little bit of this. And, like, ooh, that made it worse. 
So now I try some of this, and oh, like this is, this is just getting some funky flavor combos going on. And so uh, I've got this giant pot, and the whole time the pot is like getting more and more filled, right? And what I didn't realize was that I wasn't stirring all the way down in the bottom, and so the bottom of the pot started burning to, like the, the stew that was on the bottom was burning to the bottom of the pot. And do you guys want more details about this stew? You seem really captivated. Okay, to make a short story long, uh, I ru totally ruined the stew. Like, there was just no saving it. And uh, my, my really, my last effort go-to is hot sauce. And this, I mean, I love hot sauce. It can, it can really solve most problems with food. Um, but even hot sauce was not saving this thing. Like, there was nothing that I could do. There was no little tweak. There was... There was nothing I had left that could get that burnt, terrible taste out of this stew. And so I had to um, face it like a man and own it and just dump this entire pot of stew out, throw it away, and start over making something new. Finally, I just I had to give up. Have you ever wanted a do-over? Maybe not in your cooking, but in this stew pot of life. Have things ever been so bad in your life that it just seemed like there was no way of fixing it? No matter what you tried, the only solution would simply be to throw everything out and start all over. Or maybe something happened a long time ago and that burnt taste has just been lingering around for way too long. You wish you could just go back and fix that thing that happened. Here's something that I've noticed about us humans is that we love to wish and dream about going back in time, doing things differently, fixing it before it happened. But many of us don't have an imagination for how things could change now. And I think one of the reasons is because we simply don't know how to start over. We're all stuck with what we've got, right? I mean, sure, it's not a, a big deal to throw away a pot of stew, even if it ruins your family's motto. But what about a relationship? What about a job? What about our kids? Have any parents ever thought, man, I wish I could trade in my kids and get some new ones? <laughs> <laughs> We can't just simply get rid of all of that stuff in our life and start over. Have you ever found yourself stuck in the same cycle of failure over and over again, no matter uh, if you get a new relationship, a new job, new group of friends, maybe a new church, maybe you move to a completely new city, try something new, and you just find yourself stuck in the same situation with the same results, the same addiction it's like dumping out the bad soup and making a new batch in the same pot with the same ingredients. Steve Cuss, who is a um, author, he writes about anxiety and transformation. And I heard him on his podcast recently say, a new year won't be any different if there's not a new you. A new year won't be any different if there's not a new you. And the truth is that most of the time, we simply don't go down deep enough to get to the root of the problem. And so to me, they're, they're kind of, I mean, there's a lot here, right? Like, we're talking about <laughs> the big things of life. Um, but there's kind of two things that I want to highlight that are at work here that I think. 
One is not only do we, we need a redo, we need, we need a, a, a restart, we need a new beginning, but we also need a fresh start with something new, different ingredients, something else to help us move forward into a new experience. And so if any of this is resonating with anything, if you've felt some of these tensions that I'm describing, I've got good news because I think Jesus has a lot to say about this kind of tension. And if you're wondering how in the world did we get to the Bible from my story of ruining a pot of stew, I'm wondering with you, but here we are. So we're going to look at a story today from John chapter 3. Uh, Maybe you've heard this story before. It's about a guy named Nicodemus and this meeting that he has with Jesus. And so I want to read this entire conversation. We're not going to put slides up. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, And it's a lot of verses, so I'm just going to jump right into it, and we're going to break it apart into several chunks, and I'll give you some thoughts in between. You with me? What do you guys think about doing church in the morning? You awake? You like it? Okay, all right. John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So a couple things to to just notice right off the bat. First, Nicodemus is a religious leader. And more specifically, he's part of this super devout, law-studying, rule-following group called the Pharisees. And this group, their whole aim was to try to purify the nation of Israel by focusing everything on following the traditions and the laws exactly right, perfectly down to the letter. The idea was... If they could work hard enough and do everything just right, then God would send the Messiah to bring restoration to their people and finally make everything right. This was their hope. They were were really trying to do everything the right way to to honor God, to do exactly what he wanted um, them to do. And if you've read much of the Gospels, the Pharisees are typically seen as the bad guys, um, partially because they're always opposing and arguing with Jesus and trying to trap him in public and plotting to kill him behind his back, you know, stuff like that. Um, but Nicodemus seems a bit different. There's, there's something going on, and, and I think that he is, he's trying to really figure out what is going on because they see all of this stuff that Jesus is doing. So he comes to him in the middle of the night. He's seeing these amazing things, but he's not quite sure of what it all means. So he waits until the cover of dark so that he can ask this strange, new, unsanctioned teacher some questions. It'd be like if Chef Gordon Ramsay snuck into my house in in the darkness of night to ask me how to make stew. I'll tell you that story another time. Remind me to tell you that. Okay. Me and Gordon Ramsay. Um, Verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, apparently, Jesus was ready to go to bed or something because uh, this guy comes, they're having this meeting, he asks these questions, and Jesus just cuts straight to the chase. Nicodemus didn't even um, 
really ask him a question yet or mention the kingdom of God, but Jesus just brings it right up. This is what Jesus was always talking about and pointing to, the kingdom of God. But he wasn't talking uh, simply about going someplace after we die. His message was that God was drawing near to us, that heaven was coming to earth, that the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God is his reign, his rule, his reality, overthrowing the dead systems of this world and making everything new. Everything alive, everything whole and complete, the perfect way that it was meant to be, that, that picture of the future where all things are new and restored and right, that reality breaking forth into the present right now. This is not something that we want to miss out on. And he says, unless you're born again, you can't even see it. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, imagine how Nicodemus must have felt here. He's not a young guy. He's been working really hard at this for a long time. His whole life has been devoted to studying, to memorizing, uh, and living out the law. He has developed a way of life following God that he's really proud of. In fact, his job was to teach people how to follow all the rules in the right way. And in one sentence, Jesus has him completely bewildered. He basically told him, you've got to start all over. And Nicodemus isn't getting it, so Jesus goes even deeper. And hang in with me here because we're going to get a little deep in, in this passage. Uh, verse 5, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses, was, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Anybody get a little lost in there? A little confused? Uh, I mean, Jesus is just opening up a fire hydrant, I feel like, for Nicodemus. And he starts throwing around these multiple analogies and themes. He's talking about uh, personal experience. And then he throws in this uh, weird Old Testament reference that points ahead to his crucifixion as well. There's a lot in there that I'm not going to talk about. But ultimately, for today, there are two main things that I, I just want us to take away, because there's a lot there. And first, the main point that Jesus seems to be repeating and focusing on is this fact that in order to see 
or enter the kingdom of God, we have to be born again. We all need a do-over. And, and to accept this invitation, to experience the reality of, of him who came from heaven, who's bringing that life to us, we have to start over. Essentially, what I think Jesus is saying is that we are much more damaged and wounded and in need of fixing than we even realize. And cosmetic fixes to the outside aren't going to cut it. Adding some salt and hot sauce is not going to fix this pot of stew. Even garlic. I mean, bacon might, you know what? Bacon might have fixed it. Shoot. A little late. So we all need a do-over, right? Like the things that we try to fix the problem never address what's really going on inside of us. And secondly, we all need to be born again, but not in the same way that we were born before. Not in the same way that our parents came together and conceived us. Whatever your story of origin is, Jesus is inviting us into a different origin story. He's inviting us to be born not from the same ingredients, not from a man and a woman, not from mere human attempts, but from God's initiative. God breathing his powerful spirit into us, making us new. This phrase, born again, can also mean born from above. So like born from another place, born from somewhere else. In verse 6, Jesus said, Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. There is something new, something different, and something better. It's a different quality, a different kind of life. Another one of Jesus' closest disciples that we call Peter, he described it this way in one of his letters to the church. Your new life is not like your old life. Your old birth came from mortal sperm Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think, a life conceived by God himself. This is the word that conceived the new life in you. We don't just need a restart. Whatever your plans for this new year, which may have already failed by now, we're kind of at that point, I think like 80% of New Year's resolutions are failed like within the first month. Whatever your plan is to make your life perfect and awesome this year, (laughs) as good as it probably is, it's going to fail. We don't just need a restart. We need God to make us something completely new by uniting us with his spirit. This is the thing. This is the power that gives us a new nature a new heart, a new mind, a new you. And his spirit in us will bear all kinds of incredible fruit. But it's not something that we could ever do for ourselves. God has to do it in us, this wonderful mystery of new birth. I love the way that that Jesus kind of leans into the mystery of it, right? He's like, it's like the wind. You kind of see it, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. In the same way, you can't really explain how somebody is born again of the Spirit. 
But this is what Jesus is inviting us into. This is what God is doing. Uh, everything that we try on our own, uh, the, the perfect plan, all, all of those things, they all end up meaningless unless we have the Spirit of God empowering us to make all things new. So maybe you relate to Nicodemus here. In fact, um, if all of this feels like it's just getting a little complicated and philosophical and heady, um, maybe you feel like you, this sounds good and like it seems cool, but you have no idea what this actually means. Here's what's great. Jesus seems to anticipate that confusion. Um, and, and so let's move on. So far, we've read the, the first 15 verses of John chapter 3, and what Jesus says next uh, has become probably one of the most well-known and quoted verses of all time in the Bible. Uh, Billy Graham, Tim Tebow, uh, all of this thing. But just imagine, before any of that, before big billboards and loud preachers, Jesus spoke these words in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a man who risked his life to come looking for him in the middle of the night. And Nicodemus doesn't say anything, but I imagine there's just this long pause as he, he stands there kind of dumbfounded by what Jesus says, because this is what he says. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. It's complicated and mysterious and as, as weird as it, it all boils down to God's love for us, sending his son to be with us to experience his kind of life. So what is our part in all of this? What do we actually do? The good news is that Jesus has done all of the work. He has started it all. And the only part for us is to respond. Listen to what Jesus says next as the, the conversation comes to an end. In verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. Our part is to head towards the light, to humbly come out into the open and to lay it all out. Believing that we get forgiveness and new life through Jesus. The biblical word that we use here is faith, right? This, this word for believe, it's really about trusting. It's, it's not just like an idea that we accept, but it's about trusting God with our life. And so we, we move towards him. We receive the things that he has to give us, choosing to trust what God says is true and live our lives according to his reality. It's a new life that is just beginning, but it's one that will never end. It's, it's eternal. It's never ending. It's, it's God's kind of life. 
And the thing that strikes me is that you only want a redo in life if, thing, if things don't go your way, right? Like if everything feels pretty good, you're not really looking to start over. You're not looking um, for some kind of new life. And Nicodemus and the Pharisees were exactly the type of people that didn't want a do-over. In their eyes, they had done everything exactly right. And how, how can it be fair that sinners and rule breakers and all of these other people should get a second chance? It's the attitude of the older brother from the prodigal son story that Jesus tells, if you've heard that before. And this is why Jesus tells the Pharisees that healthy people don't need a doctor. He came for the sick. It's why God so often identifies with and fights for the oppressed, for the poor, for the vulnerable, and the marginalized. It also makes sense why another time Jesus told the religious rulers that tax collectors and prostitutes were entering the kingdom of God before them. Why? Because they recognized their need and they trusted Jesus to give them a new life. This is the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. We are invited to a brand new journey of learning and growing and maturing. It only happens through Jesus by the power of his spirit alive in us, receiving his grace through faith. We can't go back. We can only go forward. And in the kingdom, there is no rewind. There is only redeem. So what is it in your life that Jesus wants to redeem, to restore? What part of you? The truth is, for most of my life, I've worked really hard to fix myself. Emily, that communion homily was really good, by the way. How often do we we spend most of our energy and our time just trying to make things a little better? I thought that if I could just get... um, If I could just get enough of Jesus to get me up and running, then I could go wherever I wanted. Like Jesus is a little gas that I put in my tank, and then I'm free to hit the open road, or I don't know what I thought. Do you think of Jesus this way sometimes? But here's the truth. God is not a secret ingredient that we can add a little bit into our lives to try to fix things. A dash of God here, a pinch of the Holy Spirit over there. God, if you'll work with me, I think I can cook up something pretty tasty. No, Jesus is the chef. He is the creator. He is the source of all life. He is making all things new. And we get to be an ingredient in the masterpiece that he is cooking. He chooses to include us. This is something that I just, I'm coming back to over and over again. That We don't invite Jesus into our lives. He welcomes us into his. You see, being born is family language, right? We're all born into something. We're not just like born as individuals out on the street, like, good luck, kid. No, we're, we're born into a family Sons and daughters of the Father, that makes us brothers and sisters. This new life that Jesus invites us into is connected to a family. We are a part of something bigger. 
And of course, every new child, every baby born, uh, welcomed into a family, changes that family. There's risk and there's sacrifice and there's heartache oftentimes, but there's also so much joy and it is so worth it. Why does he do this? Because he loves us. God loved the world so much that he sent his son so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He came to set us free from trying to do everything on our own and to allow him to birth his new never-ending life inside of us. He came to give us life because he loves us. And not just us, but our neighbors, our schools, our city, the world. Just last week I was driving in Price Hill and there's this big uh, like mural on the side of one of the buildings that says, for God so loved Price Hill. It's really cool. For God so loved Covington that he sent his son. And what if he continues to send his sons and daughters? What if he is sending us into the places where we live and work and, we pl and play uh, with the same message, the same announcement and invitation of the kingdom that is coming close to welcome everybody to be a part of this family. And so we have a goal for this year that I'm not going to be able to get into too much, but I want to just give you a little bit of a taste of, of what we feel like the Lord is, is doing in this family on mission as Vineyard Covington. And um, the goal is uh, our prayer, our, what if we focused all of our missional activities and our, our everything that we do with the goal and the hope of seeing one more person start new life with Jesus this year. One more person start new life with Jesus before. Come to experience the power and the freedom of his life, his spirit, his family. Now, of course, we want everyone in, right? Like, like why not set the goal of 60,000 people, like all of Covington? But that can feel pretty big, right? Like, that, that can start to feel kind of crazy. And we see all throughout the Bible these examples of Jesus going after the one. And so we want this to become our rallying cry this year. We want this to, to kind of give um, shape to the things that we do. But what if one more person came to experience life with Jesus, came to start this new life where he is making all things new. And what I love about this goal and this language is that it reminds us what this is all about, which is about people. It's about people experiencing his kingdom, his family. We develop a way of life that we can invite the city into. We, we think about all of these things, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. This is not just self-help or life improvement programs, although I do think it will improve our lives quite a bit. We do this so that we can really live and learn how to be sons and daughters of the king and join him on his mission to make all things new, to invite everyone to experience his kingdom. So you see, it's possible to live a way of life that looks really spiritual, but is actually dead and dry without the spirit animating it. We are not interested in that. We don't want to be those kind of people. We want to be alive, joining Jesus with where he's going and what he's doing. Okay, that's enough. 
Let's all stand. I actually want to read one more, one more quick passage. This is, um, if you go back before chapter 3, is something we call John chapter 2. And at the end of it, this, this starts this conversation. It says, now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. One quick bonus thought. We're going to worship and we're going to pray. But the, the, the main emphasis on, uh, of this message, this idea, is like believing in Jesus, right? Like that's, that's what we're invited to. That's what the Gospel of John is all about. Everyone who believes in him We'll have eternal life. Well, he gives us the right to become sons and daughters of God, it says in John chapter 1. But right before this conversation starts, we're told that a bunch of people saw Jesus and all the, the miraculous things he was doing, and they believed in him. But we get this little note, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. And honestly, all week, I've just had this question in my mind. This, this thought has been coming up. You know, we, we spend a lot of time trying to trust Jesus. And it's a really good question. It's, it's what most of our life is about. But for those of us who are following Jesus, who have put our trust in him, who have, have chosen to uh, accept the invitation and the mission that he has for us, are we living our lives in a way in which Jesus can trust us? So two things I want us to consider as we, as we wrap up today. Are you trusting in Jesus? Have you experienced him as someone trustworthy in your life? And then two, are you living your life in such a way that Jesus can trust you, can trust you with his life, with his spirit, with his mission, with his family, his kids in our city that he wants to send to us? So let's, let's just do one more song, and then we'll pray. So we, we just welcome you, Holy Spirit.